morning. Thank you, Eric. Thank you so much. I'd like to share my gratitude to the point of power that is expressing this Paul, Dr. Paul Hasselbeck. Nice of him to take the effort and the courage to create this blueprint of spiritual practice for us to follow, to learn, to expand, and grow as we coalesce with the energy of God that is Paul. So I thank Paul. And I'm honored to share from that premise and kind of bring the whole experience together today. So I start with the book, Point of Power. It starts with my story, not my story, but Paul's. He takes us through explorations of the ideas of God, the idea of God, the indwelling Christ, with some very interesting illustrations, prayer, meditation, the law of mind action, Blessings and misattribution, cause and effect, clarity, form, and intent, enthusiasm, and determination, and then impeccable spiritual practice, which is the main focus of my thought. And yet, I see it being just the capping of the foundation that all the others bring to bear. So, I'll talk a little bit about all of it. First, I want to talk a little bit about the indwelling Christ. I I don't know, I assume that everyone has some familiarity with, I'll be standing close to here today. (laughs) Although I'm sure you can all hear me no matter. Um, Part of my zeal is a boisterous voice. But in the indwelling Christ, there's all these different uh, sketches. You know, there's the individual, and then there's this misidea, this, this mistaken idea that we're some sort of sinner, evil monster that we then compensate for by the appearance that we bring forth. Of course, you don't see me as I'm presenting to you, but you see me as you need to see me through your interpretation of me. And that's the other diagram. So, anyway, but the image I'm throwing out there is orange, and we know why, right? Amen. And so, bringing it all around to spiritual practice, I recognize that one of my spiritual practices is to wear the color of the power when I speak. And so, in my closet, most of the things that are orange are associated with that other team up north, the Cleveland Browns. So, that's just part of my experience, and this is the biggest orange I have, but I'm going to tone it down a little bit. And, and what I'm also going to do is symbolically peel away one layer of my mask and reveal something more inner 
and more vulnerable. Why? Because I feel safe with you. There we go. Don't get too excited. <laughs> it's just kind of hot in here. Whew. You know, it's like when you peel a real orange. You know, there's that, that tougher, harder exterior that protects the vulnerable fruit inside, that luscious part that we like to eat. It's a little bit more muted, but still orange, with maybe a little bit of gray where the skin and the things are coming together. So this is my inner orange, segmented. Still orange. But I recognize with these pants, I look a little more like a Bronco stand. And I'm not particularly fond of them, but that's because I'm a brown fan. So moving on to cause and effect, and how that, of course, I hope everything I share is going to come through the prism of spiritual practice. So we're currently having an event. Right now, right here, this is an event, right? It's Sunday morning church at Unity Spiritual Center of Westlake. The spiritual home for maybe all of you and certainly most. You are here. Right here, right now, in this space that has been created by the collective and mutual point of power of this community over a significant amount of time. The energy and the love and the, the, the generosity and the enthusiasm and determination of this community has created this. And it is magnificent. Is it not? And you and your predecessors have this to be grateful for. What a blessing you are creating in this very moment. So this event is happening. And so I encourage you to, to look inside and say, what effects are you realizing from this cause, this event? What feelings are you experiencing? So I'm encouraging you to allow that expansion, that increase in awareness. It's so easy to take things for granted. That's where we reflect and pause and open ourselves up to seeing the magnificence in the small, subtle things that build and mean so much together. Someone told me once, a snowflake is such an insignificant little thing. But look at what they can accomplish when they get together. Sorry that I brought up snow. So I'm not sure, you know, I wondered when I wrote these thoughts down, you know, what I would say here. And I got to say that the energy of it feels a little different than I anticipated. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. Um, I don't believe in magic in spirituality, but I do believe in miracles. And miracles is just the power of collective point of power, what we call collective consciousness. And the way the energy on this is moving, initially I was going to say, I want to talk about the elephant in the room. But it might be a puppy at this point. I, I don't know if it's an elephant. But earlier in this service, we experienced a specific event. 
So Greg and Donna put forth a call to action. They provided it with clarity, form, and intent. You might remember that chapter. And really, clarity, form, and intent is sort of like the culmination of us moving past the misunderstandings of the law of mind action, cause and effect, lessons and misattribution, and really bringing it forth that I get clear, I declare my intent, I give it form, enthusiasm and determination to follow. So they provided with clarity, form, and intent a call to action to invest in this spiritual home. So let's apply spiritual practice to this stimulus. So I want you to check in. What feelings are you generating about this? And you might even want to recall your initial reaction. I heard some sounds. Okay? Because um, it sounds big. And I assure you, it is big. It is very big. Maybe not in the same way you're thinking of it, though. So are you still thinking about that, or did you just log that in and set it aside? I'll think about that later. That's, that's one thing, because that's important, and that's part of what I'm doing. But what I'm doing right now is listening to Bruce, and what could be more important than that? I understand. I understand. Um, is it distracting you at all? Are you concerned about it? You know, is it getting in the way of your spiritual experience in this moment? You know, are you feeling more encouraged about what you heard and, and sliding your energy into the realm of exploring infinite possibilities of what could and how could it happen? Or do you have a little resistance to it? Like, not again. My gosh, why do we have to do this? Which, all resistance does come from fear. I'm not judging it. Just calling it out. So, that brings me back to the beginning of Point of Power. Paul shared his story. And, and really, uh, I think it was a turning point in his spiritual journey, you know, when he infected himself with HIV. And the, 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 the big realization, the, the big expansion in consciousness was when he realized to start, stop asking the question, why did this happen to me? And moved into, how will I take advantage of this happening to me? How will I use this event, this challenge in my life, to move forward into learning how to love more, to be included more, to be inclusive more, to... You read his words. What a fundamental shift in consciousness that is. Moving from the why, which is really a victim statement. And again, I'm not judging that. Of being a victim, we tend to judge that word. But it's just like it's a perspective of something is happening to me and I'm having to deal with it versus something has happened and I get to deal with it. 
The words are almost the same, but the energy is not. Do you notice the difference? So how we have a challenge. Not just the one with the mortgage. And in the scheme of things, that will end up being not that big a deal. But we are constantly faced with challenges in our life. And so, how will we respond? As Paul said in, in, in the cause and effect chapter, you know, events don't make us feel anything. We can't say, well, I feel sad because the Browns lost two games this year. I'm creating that. I'm such an actor. Call me Hambone. Do you believe it's possible? You know, it, it in this case is raising $150,000 by the end of the year. Do you believe it will happen? Are you wondering how it will happen? Good. Or are you wondering who will make it happen? <laughs> are you wondering what your part will be? And, and I don't know what, how it's going to unfold. But, you know, the one thing I want to say is that anything's possible when anything's possible. So if you're not attached to the outcome, anything's possible. I mean, let's face it, you don't have to pay the mortgage. You don't have to. It's not a need. Yeah, if you want to continue to be here, then you're probably going to have to work out a plan or some version of being here where, I don't know, maybe there's other people that would like to be here too and they would shoulder something. I don't want to get into the possibilities specifically. Just to let you know that you don't have to feel the pressure of this has to happen or it has to happen a certain way. But just trust in the point of power that you are and the collective point of power that you are together. And knowing that, look how far we've come. And we will move on. And we will create something beautiful together. What's more important than this building is the community that you are. And this is just a place for you to express it to be together. It's a wonderful place. But if you didn't have this place, you would still have your connection to each other in community. Both those that are here and those that are affiliates and those that are yet to come and be attracted by the energy that you have. That's all i got to say about that. But I want to continue in talking about spiritual practice. And just to check, I, I have a little more time because we did some extra stuff, right? Uh, okay. I probably need about 15 more minutes. Okay. All right. So impeccability in your spiritual practice. So I just want to start by saying the same thing I said about the mortgage. You don't need to pay it, and you don't need to have spiritual practice. You don't need to. And you don't need to be saved by God. You know? 
got some interesting emails this 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 week because there's things going on in the world and everybody connects it to the end of times and there's there's just such an interesting story around that. But the bottom line is you are going to move through your existence. You know what do you really need to do? Breathe. Get a little bit of moisture into your system because you're about 70% moisture. You got to keep that balance. You probably should eat a little bit. After that, stay warm, <laughs> stay dry. Maybe if you're lucky, you'll have a friend that loves you, or you can love them. Those are things you need. Do you need a spiritual practice? No, you don't. I don't think so. And yet, a lot of you choose to do it. Like you're here, for example. Spiritual practice. Some of you do yoga. Some of you do prayer. Some of you sing in choirs or sing here. Some of you lead youth groups. Some of you volunteer in the community. There's so many things that you do. Why? Because your heart, your soul, is drawn toward expressing in a way that spreads love. And part of that practice is things like internal meditation and that, that helps me remember that I am love and that I'm worthy of love because I am love. And then from that standpoint of really putting the oxygen mask on myself first, I can help others with their challenges. So even though you don't need it, but I just think it's important to know that it's not a requirement. It's just something you are naturally drawn to wanting to do, and you do it. It's so much in the want category, which makes it so much more satisfying and so much more fulfilling. You don't have to wake up and say, oh, geez, I have to meditate. Oh man, I know when I meditate, I feel closer to God. So that brings up the next thing. But I just want to say, my concept isn't that you do spiritual practices. My concept is that, what do you think about the idea that every moment of your being is, a, is an evolving demonstration of your spiritual practice? Every moment that you exist in this realm, you are in your spiritual practice. It doesn't always look as holy as it looks right now. That doesn't mean it's not you. Actually, sometimes when you show up as the real you, you're really being that individual in Paul's diagram, not the mask, right? Oh, they saw who I really am. Oh, we all get angry, for example. But as we continue to evolve spiritually, we start to recognize there's no need for that. I love the commercial for issue one that's on. A guy's talking, uh, actually in support of it. He's got a family. But he talks about how something makes him angry in the most neutral tone. And that's great modeling. We can express our dissatisfaction or anger with something without pumping up the drama. I turn from orange to green. But that is a different power. I tend to kind of like dramatic. But that's probably one of those compensations of, of whatever. So, but here's a measure you can have of this about are you just living your life as spiritual practice. Did you ever find yourself saying, 
I'm going to give 110%. Yeah, impossible. You can only be holy and fully present as you. That is your 100. And you are always 100. So if you say, oh, I gave that 110%, and you're compensating for something. And the other time you say, well, if I had given 100%, I could have done better. No, not true. That was your 100% in that context, in that situation, in that moment. That's how you show up. Always as 100%. So, I think the biggest message I took from Point of Power, and I love the way Paul makes it so simple, is just overcoming this persistent perspective of separation that we have with God. And believe me, there's a lot of encouragement to reinforce that idea of separation. Most of the churches I've ever been part of encourage it. And also in life, uh, there's that separation, because I talked about this recently. Most of my church experience before I was, say, 20, was I needed to go to church on Sunday to compensate for how I was the other six and a half days of the week. And that was my dark monster self. And then I came in Sunday and I pretended I was holy and I got cleansed and I looked good. And I went back and I couldn't wait to get right back at, at, at what I wanted to do. Which, you know, when you're that age, you'd fill in the blank. So, because it might have been different for you, that's what I'm saying. I'm not trying to suggest anything too insidious. Or maybe I am. So we have these separations. We have this God versus us, this spiritual life versus secular life, Sunday versus the rest of the week. The truth is we are one with God. And so one of the things we need to release and let go, by the way, next month, we're doing that. That's the power. We're going to let go. So that doesn't mean we have to wait till next month. Let go of this inferiority complex we have about being the point of power about being God-expressing as me now, with the divine wisdom and divine mind and all the power of God behind me. It's sort of like there's this big 3D printer, and I'm the head of the printer, and all the material that's going to be printed is the source, uh, infinite source of God, and I'm out here creating whatever I am is my personal 3D printer. I am God-expressing. I'm not separate from God. And Paul talks about it too in terms of the chapter on God when he talks about, you know, God is not omnipresent. God is omnipresence. He's not the adjective describing a, a thing. It's just a principle. Omnipresence, omniscience. Good stuff. Good stuff. We are not created in the image, which is kind of a static, historic event. That happened December 7th, 1962, if you need to know. And we honor it every year if you want to get gifts. But we're not created in the image of God so much as we're being created in this instant and every instant as the expression of God. And in the chapter on prayer, Paul says that knowing who you are or knowing who we are 
is the basis of our power. And when we know that we are the divine expression, that's a good place to be. So who are you? The answer, being. You are a being. But we get into what the doing as well. And we often confuse what we do with who we are. All I can say is, as we, and of course we have this challenge we talked about a little bit earlier, the puppy in the room. As you think about what to do, I suggest you avoid the passive prologue trap. Thinking that we're going to respond to this challenge the way we always respond. Now, I'm not saying there are some great things you should draw on, but be open to the emergence of new creative and innovative approaches. Allow yourself to spiritually expand into the challenge. So to bring it uh, toward the end, I think that the thing that I get most excited about in Jesus' teaching is when he said there's two greatest commandments. Love yourself. Well, okay. He actually said, love God <laughs> with all your heart, mind, and soul. But when I look at it through the lens of the point of power, I realize that loving God is loving me. And knowing that I am that point of power, that divine expression. And when I am strong in me, then I can do the second commandment, which is love my neighbor. Remember these? He said that's really all you need. I love that. But I also want you to know that it's not that you are individual points of power, but that we are a collective point of power. Just think about it. Eight billion points of power. You know, when I was a kid, we used to go to concerts. I went to concerts. I actually still go to concerts. They used to have lighters. And there'd be a certain tune. And everybody would get their lighter out and they'd be holding the lighters and Bono'd be singing. And now it's cell phones. But if you just take that image of that point of power and think about 8 billion plus cell phones lit up. What's this called light? That is the glowing power of God expressing on earth. And it's not just us. It is us collectively. And it looks like a mess right now. If we were given 100%, we'd be doing better, right? No, we're given 100%. But this is just where we are. This is how we're expressing God. And we can make it nicer if we can just take a little bit of the fear and replace it with a little bit of love. And every one of us does that. So the question is, what can I do to increase the amount of love in the world? One iota. It matters. I even think it would be nice if there was an app for that. Like I have a little personal app. It's like my spiritual practice app. And it's like, oh, you're in the green zone. You're really, really loving right now. Whoa, whoa, you're drifting. And I can make an adjustment, you know. And we could even have an app for the whole world. So with that in mind, and, and, and I want to share a story with you as, as, as a closing. It takes about six minutes or so. You'll love it, or you won't. But it's about the power of community. And I think it's relevant to the moment 
Because it's not just about the mortgage. Things are evolving. Things are changing. You guys are making this happen. We are making this happen. I'm with you today. It's called the Rabbi's Gift. Some of you may have heard it before. I first read it uh, as a prologue to M. Scott Peck's, M. Scott Peck's book, A Different Drum. But it was written by uh, a hermit named Francis Dorf O'Prime. I don't even know if that's how you say it, but it's O'Prime, so that's probably where he was from. P-R-A-E-M, for those of you that are better at pronunciation. There was a monastery that had fallen upon hard times. Once a great order, as a result of waves of anti-monastic persecution in the 17th and 18th centuries and the rise of secularism in the 19th, all its branch houses were lost and it had become decimated to the extent there were only five monks left in the decaying mother house. The abbot and four others, all over 70 in age, clearly it was a dying order. In the deep woods surrounding the monastery, there was a little hut that a rabbi from a nearby town occasionally used as an hermitage. Through their many years of prayer and contemplation, the old monks had become a bit psychic, so they could always sense when the rabbi was in his hermitage. The rabbi is in the woods. The rabbi is in the woods again, they would whisper to each other. As he agonized over the imminent death of his order, it occurred to the abbot at one such time to visit the hermitage and asked the rabbi if by some possible chance he could offer any advice that might save the monastery. The rabbi welcomed the abbot at his hut, but when the abbot explained the purpose of his visit, the rabbi could only commiserate with him. I know how it is. The spirit has gone out of the people. It is the same in my town. Almost no one comes to the synagogue anymore. So the old abbot and the old rabbi wept together. Then they read parts of the Torah and quietly spoke of deep things. The time came when the abbot had to leave. They embraced each other. It's been one, a wonderful thing that we should meet after all these years, the abbot said. But I have still failed in my purpose for coming here. Is there nothing you can tell me, no piece of advice you can give me that would help me save my dying order? No, I'm sorry, the rabbi responded. I have no advice to give. The only thing I can tell you is that the Messiah is one of you. When the abbot returned to the monastery, his fellow monks gathered around him to ask, Well, what did the rabbi say? He couldn't help, the abbot answered. We just wept and read the Torah together. The only thing he did say just as I was leaving. It was something cryptic. Was that the Messiah is one of us. I don't know what he meant. In the days and weeks and months that followed, the old monks pondered this and wondered whether there was any possible significance to the rabbi's words. The Messiah is one of us? Could he possibly have meant one of us monks? Here at the monastery? If that's the case, which one? Hmm. Do you suppose he meant the abbot? Yes. If he meant anyone, he probably meant Father Abbot. 
He's been our leader for more than a generation. On the other hand, he might have met Brother Thomas. Certainly, Brother Thomas is a holy man. Everyone knows that Thomas is a man of light. Certainly, he could not have met Brother Elred. Elred gets crotchety at times. But come to think of it, even though he is a thorn in people's sides, when you look back on it, Elred is virtually always right. Often, very right. Maybe the rabbi did mean Brother Elred, but surely not Brother Philip. Philip is so popular, a real nobody. But then, almost mysteriously, Philip has a gift for somehow always being there when you need him. He just magically appears by your side. Maybe Philip is the Messiah. Of course, the rabbi didn't mean me. He couldn't possibly have met me. I'm just an ordinary person. Yet, supposing he did, suppose I am the Messiah. Oh God, not me. I couldn't be that much for you, could I? As they contemplated in this manner, the old monks began to treat each other with extraordinary respect on the off chance that one of them might be the Messiah. And on the off, off chance that each monk himself might be the Messiah, they began to treat themselves with extraordinary respect. Because the forest in which it was situated was beautiful, it still happened that people still occasionally came to visit the monastery, to picnic on its tiny lawn, to wander along some of its paths, and even now and then go into the dilapidated chapel to meditate. As they did so, without even being conscious of it, they sensed this aura of extraordinary respect that now began to surround the five old monks and seemed to radiate out from them and permeate the atmosphere of the place. There was something strangely attractive, even compelling about it. Hardly knowing why, they began to come back to the monastery more frequently to picnic, to play, and to pray. They began to bring their friends to show them this special place. And then friends brought their friends. And then it happened that some of the young men who came to visit the monastery started to talk more and more with the old monk. And after a while, one asked if he could join them. Then another and another. So within a few years, the monastery had once again become a thriving order. And thanks to the rabbi's gift, a vibrant center of light and spirituality in the realm. <laughs>